Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am talking to Ryan Nidell. He's the CEO and partner over at MIT45, but this guy has a long journey in entrepreneurship. He has a multitude of businesses under his belt, some crazy successes and other ones, well, maybe not so much, and we'll get into all of that in a minute. But first, I want to welcome you to the show, Ryan. Lance, thanks for having me. You're, you're far too kind to say maybe not so great, right? The one <laughs> I hope we get into is that abysmal failure where post-exit, everything's wiped off the slate. I had to start from zero. So I appreciate the kind words of softening that blow. <laughs> well, not a problem at all. And thanks for doing you know a little bit of foreshadowing there because I think that's going to be a really good story. I think there's always really great lessons that come out of failure. And I know that you're very uh, open to talking about those and really sharing that so it can help other people. So thank you for for that in advance. But to start off with, uh, with all the experience that you've had, all the businesses that you've worked on and worked in and, and exited from and so on, I'm really curious what, in your opinion, are three things that, you know, every entrepreneur really needs to nail or understand or, or just know? Yeah, Lance, what, what a great question. And I, I'll start really high level with this. And I'd like to, to pull it down a couple steps deeper if possible. Sure. Where the unsexy part to start with to me is an understanding of the numbers, right? And that's really finance and accounting at mm -hmm. the highest level. And I'm not suggesting as an entrepreneur, we need to pause and go get a, you know, a CPA or become an accountant, but yeah. we should have an understanding of the terms of vernacular and processes that an accounting department that's functioning should go through. And whether, you know, I, I call it most of us, I started out this way as an accidental entrepreneur. I didn't have a formal amount of training. I didn't have an MBA or things like that. I, I found some that I believed in that I thought I could sell and all of a sudden money starts coming into an account. And that I looked at the bank account and there's more money in there than it was yesterday. So I have to be doing well. Yep. And uh, as luck would have it, the enterprise value by running a business that way isn't really maximized, right? So it's just a really base level understanding of, again, processes and systems and terminologies in that accounting and finance department, right? Do you know the big, the big three financial statements and how to read them? Do you know what questions to ask of your accounting department. That's, I think that's really paramount for any entrepreneur, but it's not the sexy part. Yeah. The sexy part to me is, is that number two and that's sales, right? I think any, anybody that wants to get into the, the field of entrepreneurship, the, the highest probability of success is having that passion and knowing, knowing how to sell something and selling something in a really, I call it honest and ethical manner where it's not the old used car salesman. I used to be one, right? It legitimately used to sell cars a long time ago. So I'm not knocking that profession whatsoever. But I'm not, well, I don't want to pressure somebody into something. I want to go through more of a, a Socratic sales method of asking questions, understanding needs, and whether you're a direct-to-consumer product, whether you're a B2B product, we're selling each other all the time, right? So to have an understanding of sales and have a strong command of the human language, being able to keep things really simple and be able to explain them in a powerful manner, that's sales to me. And so yeah. sales is that second part. And then another un unsexy part. So it's kind of the backwards of the sandwich we should create, right? The, the positive, the not so positive and the positive again, I kind of inverted it. But that third part to me is how to create processes, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that for me is, as you hit product market fit or market message match as an entrepreneur, you start hitting a level of scale inside the business. You're past yourself and a handful of friends or family members really growing this thing. If you haven't documented your processes and create some sort of workflow, right, a standard operating procedure for your business as it sits now, you're limiting the ability to scale, right? Because all the information gets trapped inside of us. And I think that's one of the most catastrophic things that we do as business owners is naturally, right? We hold on to it because it's our secret sauce. Man, if I put it down on paper and I tell everybody what I'm doing, somebody could steal it from me. Someone could take it. I, 
what if, what if there's competition I'm creating versus the fact of that, you know, the true law of abundance where it's saying, mm-hmm. hey, if I put everything down in writing, maybe someone comes in with a, a level of, of genius and brilliance that's past mine. They can enhance those processes and help me become more efficient and more effective as a business unit. So so those three things to me are are paramount as we go through our entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love the the way that you frame the last one in terms of like people do have this desire sometimes to really hold things really tight to their chest and and see everything as being, you know, potential competition or the people are going to steal that brilliant idea or whatnot. And I've never actually seen that in action per se. And I, I know that that's, that happens out there, especially when you're talking about, you know, patents and different things, things there. But I mean, in general, most of our businesses, it's not so much the idea that is the, is the fire in the bottle. It's, it's really the a way that you execute upon all that, right? And the best executor of it, the one who has the best systems in place, oftentimes is going to be the one that's going to be the winner. So yeah. Completely agree. I mean, yeah. it's, the the idea is essentially worthless when it comes right down to it. That the magic and the and the profitability, the revenue, is always in the execution. So to me, those SOPs. I mean, as I've come into various businesses as a consultant, post exits and things like that. Yeah. The first thing I start with every time is just understanding the processes that exist or the lack thereof. Because right, how do you, how do you build a scaffolding around a business to help bolster it up if you if you don't know where the the footing should be held at? And yeah. It, yeah. It's exactly. Just the, the simplicity okay. of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about uh, MIT45 then. What is it that you're doing over there now? Uh, what problems are you trying to solve with that business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So MIT45 is a, a Kratom company, and most people have no idea what Kratom is. I certainly didn't when I came out as a consultant. So Kratom is a leaf that is regional to Southeast Asia, right? Thailand, Indonesia. It's in the coffee family as far as in the botanical family. Okay. And it's comparable in thought process to perhaps what CBD was five, six, seven years ago, where people don't really know what it is. They think they have an idea. They might Google it and see some some things that are not so favorable, and that becomes the truth. Where what what this product really does, if you take small amounts of it, and it's just a, a powder or capsule, could also be in a liquid tincture. You can't smoke it. You can't inhale it. You can't. It doesn't work that way. Yep. So if you consume it orally in various forms and fashions, small amounts have been shown to give energy, clarity, focus. It would be a really healthy alternative to, per se, uh, a caffeine, perhaps. If you take larger amounts of it, it actually becomes more of a relaxing sensation. So think of a you know nighttime sleep aid almost, and maybe something mm-hmm. that would uh, allow muscles to not feel the same amount of pain. And so what, what I got to do inside of MIT45 is actually came in as, as a consultant in 2019. The founding partners were at this place where the company was doing well. It was profitable. It had been around for seven or eight years, Lance, but they'd flatline. They were just stuck five, $6 million a year, which is a great place to be stuck at, right? I certainly am not looking down my nose at that sort of revenue. Yep. But they were burnt out, right? They were at that 60, 70 hour a week. They're, they're nose to the grindstone, if you will, and they have no quality of life. And they said, look, we, we don't want to continue this. We don't know what to do. You know, you, you've been recommended to us. And so it started with just that process optimization and documentation. Well, then we, we press fast forward and I get to the good parts, right? I eventually take over as CEO and then become uh, equity partner in the business and then take over as CEO. And and through that and some acquisitions, right? Last year we did just under 70 million in revenue with the majority of that being actually B2B and not even B2C mm-hmm. where we're right now, as I look into the future of what 2023 is holding for us, we're really pushing, pushing forward in the regulatory side of things, educating people on what the plant is, how it works. We're out there buying market share, right? We start looking at the, mm-hmm. the macroeconomic 
curves that exist in most businesses, right? And we're kind of at the top domestically here in the U.S. of uh, probably the early adopter curve where we're starting to see a little bit of a flat line as an industry of people saying, okay, the, 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 first, the first people to consume it are the users now. And so it's this ripe time for buying up some smaller market companies, those five to $10 million annualized revenue, the accidental entrepreneurs, the way that I met my two partners, right? Yep. They're, they're stuck. They can't grow any faster. It's perfect because now we get the the leverage points of consolidation, right? Lower cost of goods, rolling up of personnel because there's a, a, a power of leverage associated with that. Some good financial modeling that I could get into in a whole other conversation of, of just you know how the capital markets are working right now, and that's actually to our favor versus what the, you know the media might have you, you think across the board. And so we're really just in this rapid growth phase where I think. I'd, I'd love to read the tea leaves, and I don't know that I have that crystal ball, but I think we'll end up somewhere between 105 and 125 million this year in, in revenue with another acquisition or two under our belt, just sharing consistently, you know, what this plant does and how it works. Yeah, yeah, really exciting, and and the growth is tremendous. So from five million uh, when you first started with them up to what you're projecting to be over north of 100 now, mm-hmm. um, and how many years has that been? Gosh, so really, I came on spring of 2019. So I would look at fall of 2018 was yep. a five million dollar year, and of course, this is 23. So I feel comfortable yeah. saying over a five year period. Yeah, yeah, no, that's tremendous growth. Uh, is it uh, domestic U.S. Uh, sales focused mostly, or are you guys global in nature? What's the what's the market? So really good question. We're in the process now of, of go, that go to market strategy on a global basis. So we're we're having conversations okay. with uh, the Minister of Health in Canada, being the only you know, licensed Kratom product for national distribution. We're giving them, you know, a, a proof of work studies and safety studies and all these things that we have where yep. have meetings with them, you know, sometime in the late Q2, early Q3 to sit in front of front of the board there and, and show what this is and get that across the board. There's a handful of regions over in Eastern Europe uh, and, and countries that are already familiar with Kratom, but haven't understood our brand. So what we're doing now is really creating that mode around our business where we have you know, some trademarks that we're already way in front of before we go in the international waters. We have some patents over there being filed so that our biggest fear is, of course, as much as I said, I w- would encourage someone not to be afraid of competition when they pro- when they document their processes. We get into those uncharted territories of, of foreign jurisdictions and the barrier to entry to, to create a, a knockoff is, is pretty low, right? It, mm-hmm. we're, we're not there. It doesn't have the same feel. So learning from, from past companies and, and uh, good friends of ours who said, hey, pump the brakes just for the best thing you do is pump those brakes for the next four to six months, build the motor around your, your business before you take it over there. And then you'll be able to hit the ground and have a, a lot of protection. Yeah. Yeah. Because is, is the formulation patentable at all? Like do you have a, it is. Yeah. It is. We, we've got some things that we do with nanoparticulation and, and uh, nano emulsification of the molecules itself, that it still stays in intact to the truest essence. So we're not altering plant matter whatsoever. We're just we're just bringing it down to a very microscopic level, which allows for uh, a unique delivery mechanism, right? We can yeah. get all the way into topical gels if we wanted to, and we get into Listerine type of strips and some things that hmm. would be unique to us. It's not our mechanism right now for delivery, but we have that ability. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, where do you see um, the biggest potential uh, roadblocks to you getting to the to the the goal that you have, say, in the next year to three years? What an incredible question. You actually caught me off guard with that because there's, there's so many things that race through my head, Lance, as you share that. At the base level, I like to look internally first. And I have to admit that the, the caliber of individuals that support our mission have to keep changing, 
right? Mm-hmm. We have lofty ambitions of being at least a half billion in revenue. We'd like to be one of the first Kratom companies to IPO. And there's a conversation to be had that as companies, in my experience, keep growing at that exponential rate, you have really incredible people that surround us right now, right? And yep. that that 75 to 125 million, they've got experience there, right? We found them, they're part of the team, and we hope they can keep growing in their skill set and their knowledge as the company keeps ramping up to that place. But there's a chance they might not, right? There's a chance that our chief revenue officer simultaneously can't figure out how to navigate the international waters as well as the domestic waters. And it's not that he is a bad individual. It's quite the opposite. He's done an incredible job for exactly what we've asked him to do in this season. But I don't know that he'll be able to catch up. I certainly hope he does. I want to empower him, inspire him, support him in all the education to get there. But there's a chance that doesn't work. So that's an internal barrier that I could see that happens. Then I look externally. What are some of those external barriers? Right there's Kratom is this is this product right now that where the FDA here domestically doesn't want us to to share what it does right so you'll see we don't have testimonials on our website although we've got thousands of inbound testimonials I don't have any there because it's currently this product where it's deemed a new food domestically and you can't advertise any sort of value to a new food as far as implied health benefits so I can't mm-hmm. talk about what it actually does I have to leave it up to implied usage. And so until we can really figure out that regulatory landscape, we're able to share without fear of, you know, um, any sort of negative impact from the federal government here domestically, we're kind of a little handcuffed. And that's really what's so fascinating to me is we've been able to grow this business. I mean, imagine as you're listening to our conversation, you've got something that you believe in incredibly that's got thousands of people emailing you consistently saying, oh my gosh, thank you. Your product's amazing. But you can't share with anybody (laughs) anywhere what the product actually does. And your company still gets to 70 million. Like it's, it's just this fascinating thing of saying, well, this is lightning in a bottle in its own capacity, because imagine what would happen if you could actually start sharing, here's how it works. Here's what it does. Here's how it affects the body where you're not going to see any of that in writing from us. Yeah. Well, for, for my clients who are listening to this right now, they'll, they'll be, you know, wondering how I'm going to react to that because one of the big strategies we always employ for, for our clients is really leveraging the testimonial for, to overcome the objections that the target audience might be having. Right. And so, uh, when you're handcuffed in that way, share with us, how is it that you are able to grow that business without really being able to, to, to use that really core piece of a lot of marketing strategies? Absolutely. So what we've done with that, Lance, is that's one of the primary drivers as to why we made the structural decision to go the B2B vertical versus yeah. direct-to-consumer. And while we have a direct-to-consumer presence, it's very challenging, of course, without testimonials, without third-party validation to get somebody to believe in your product. But at the distributor level, when there's you know, 20, 30, 40 distributors across the country that carry our product, I'm able to actually position it from a value proposition to them that I can show them, here's the turns you get on our product per month. Here's the revenue you can make or the profit on our product. Here I can show you mathematically how you know a company like Circle K has us in their internal dossier as the most profitable six inches that exist in their store. Hmm. And I can show that you know, anecdotal information um, and also quantifiable information Nielsen reports, things like that, that aren't me saying it, that it's, it's, it's in black and white from a third party that says this product really sells very, very well. And so by the nature of that, even if a distributor doesn't quite understand what it is or how it works or the benefits, they see, I can buy it for X dollars and it's, I can sell it for X, you know, plus some sort of number. Yeah. I, I need to give this thing a shot. And so we've grown our entire business by flipping it on its side and instead of focusing on that direct to consumer where there's hot water. We stayed one level underneath that and supported 
a, a massive distribution network across the country in all the materials that will help support them getting our product to market in gas stations, convenience stores, green grocers, potentially smoke shops, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'd like to probe into a little bit around the growth uh, that you guys have ex- been experiencing and some of it's on organic growth, I presume, and some of it's on uh, acquisitions, right? And so, mm-hmm. and acquisitions is going to be, continue to be a major part of that strategy. Now, there's a lot of people that are probably listening going, yeah, man, I, I wish I could just go out and just buy up some of my smaller competitors. And and yeah, that's that sounds great. At what point I guess, in a European a company's uh, trajectory, um, are they able to start to look at that as being the strategy or when they should maybe be looking at that being the strategy over the organic growth strategy? So can you speak to that at all? Just because there's probably a lot of people out there that are like, I don't know, like it'd be nice, but I don't know when I should be actually or when I can look at that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I actually adhere to at this point, the buy then build methodology versus the other side around. And the reason rationale for that is if I can buy into a business or acquire a business that has SOPs, has people and has, has some sort of positive net income, I'm ahead of the curve in, in comparison to starting from scratch, in my opinion. And so my, my first answer is if you didn't start looking for acquisitions yesterday, today would be a great day to start. I think it's, okay. I think it's the right time to at least consider it and understand and what, what happens most of the time to me, it's a level of fear. It's a level of, I don't understand how would it work? Well, there's so many different ways to acquire business and Lance, I'll be happy to share it with you and feel free to share it with, with everybody that listens. I've got 150 different ways to structure deals that don't actually require any cash out of pocket, right? Some really creative ways of owner financing and, and going to not even the traditional capital markets to acquire market share. And while I can't say it's it's easy, right? I think that's the other thing. It's you got to think of it logically. You're running a full-time business. You got your nose to the grind, so you're doing everything you can to make your business profitable, successful, putting out the fires. And then to go through an acquisition cycle is another full-time job. It's not one of those things you're going to, you know, magically wave your wand, you find somebody, have one phone call and poof, you own a business. Yeah. It's a, it's another monster into itself to learn how to tackle. But really, if I look at the acquisition that that we made last year, right? We our core business was on a run rate about fifty million a year in annualized revenue. Went to went to the global marketplace. We really were cold calling our competitors. We didn't. It wasn't some sort of business up for sale. We just found people that really fit a need that we had, and ours was a direct to consumer need because we hadn't specialized in that. And it was someone with a really good SEO strategy. And so went to market and just kept really cold emailing these individuals and found a couple of them to start having conversations with. And just, hey, have you ever considered the possibility of, you know, joining forces with somebody a little bigger? Have you considered what your life would be like if you if you sold off the company? And we found someone that said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to consider what that looks like. And so uh, the humorous part from where I said is the lack of sophistication that that person had. And he's, he's brilliant. Inside the business and how the business was structured, tremendous yep. sophistication. We look at the, the financial controls and the accounting. The polar opposite, of that, right? It's a spreadsheet. It's logging into my bank account. It's pull out all the data. And so it's, gosh, for me, it's great because there's a tremendous value added pickup because I have all those systems and processes. I, we're really dialed in financially. And so that's part of that, that strategy is you, as you're, as you're, you're listening to us right now, I would encourage you to get, get your house in order first. Are your systems and processes dialed in? Do you have good financial controls in place? And maybe even have you went through a level of third-party auditing to your financials? Because 
that makes it far easier to take those audited financials, no matter how many things come out in the audit, but to take those to show that you have that level of care, take those SOPs, and then go consider using an external funding partner to buy the deal, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and help with that. And we were actually able to structure a deal with the seller that was a certain percentage of, of cash upon closing and then an earnout over a, a decent period of time where it wasn't that we had to stroke some, you know, big multi eight figure check for at close and say, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? It just became a level of financial modeling to help support that. But that goes back to that first talking point for me is if, if you've never heard of a financial model before, you don't know how to read one, you don't know how to craft one and, and get a, get a perform a prospectus going. It, you're, you're going to be in those deep waters of, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to structure this. So it makes sense for everyone. Hmm. And so having your house in order is, is certainly important. Knowing the terminology is important. Looking at all the different ways to structure a deal is important. And then of course, there's the integration process itself, which is its own, own entity as far as what happens when somebody says yes, and you go through the due diligence to find all the things they told you everything was, you know, sunshine and roses. And they generally thought that I think people are inherently good. Yep. But they're they're a little blind to what they've actually created. And so by the time you start pouring through their business, their operations, their financials, their contracts or lack thereof, all of a sudden the business that you thought was worth X might be worth X minus, you know, 30% because there's more risk associated with it. And so I think that that right now, especially if you're if you're a prudent operator of a business, as we see interest rates rising, as we see supply chains constricting still as you see utilization of capital being a challenge for a lot of business owners. I think if you're a, a prudent business owner and you know, if you've got your in, own internal house in order, now's the best time in the world to start going after market share because people are feeling that squeeze. And to me, it's, it's not to be predatory. It's not to be, you know, hyper opportunistic. I believe in, in fair and ethical business dealings at all times, but it's to say, look, I feel the pain that you're in as a, you know, a $5 million business. You don't have the buying power. You're being squeezed from a couple different sides. Would you like to join forces with us, right? Maybe learn from us, maybe come on as an employee, maybe, maybe, you know, figure out some sort of deal, or maybe just take a big check and walk away. But I think there's so many opportunities right now, Lance, that if we open our eyes to it and kind of, I say, just, you know, lift the nose of the plane up just a little bit as entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm great at just looking, I'm going to run through the horizon. I'm going to get everything done. But if I can kind of get, get the nose up of the plane, look, look over the business, look over the landscape and see what's, what's truly going on. It's a great time to consider acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I really like the fact that you've, uh, you know, obviously this isn't going to be a a very short episode if we talk all about, uh, how to really put together the deal and all the different options, but I like how you've laid it out in terms of, it's not as scary as what it feels like it could be. And there's a lot of different ways to structure this. And it is something that is worthwhile taking a look at regardless of the size or where you think you're at right now because of the potential upside to that. Right. Um, so now a question for you, Ryan, as you, um, uh, we teased at the beginning there that you have had a number of different businesses and you had a big exit in your first one and you rolled that into a new business. And then that one, I think you had said within 18 months, you had, uh, basically lost your exit from the previous one and, uh, and really hit what at that point, what you felt was really rock bottom. Um, can you, uh, Tell me what lessons you learned through that process um, so that, uh, you know, maybe some of our listeners can can zero in on something that maybe will help them avoid those kinds of mistakes and and, and maybe uh, maybe share with us how that has informed then the success that you've had since then as well. Yes. So 
many of the things I'm suggesting you pay attention to now, right, were things that I didn't pay attention to in that moment. Yeah. And my natural propensity is is a level of sales and marketing, right? I'm, I'm I'll say a little bit of an extrovert. I've had a sales background, and so as I started this new company, the sales and marketing effort of this company, it was a merchant processing company, so processing okay. credit card payments online, not a sexy business at all. Tons of tons of runway to it. And I went after the the ultra um, aggressive side of the market. The things that you know you can charge six, seven, eight points for processing a credit card payment, but high risk is high reward as well, mm-hmm. or high reward is high risk. However you like to look at it. And so I was convinced, right? I'd just come off the back of an exit. I was 29 years old. And I laughingly say, I thought I was a reincarnation of King Midas, right? Everything I was going to touch was had to turn to gold. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't tell me anything if you tried. And I needed to be told a lot of stuff. I just wasn't willing to listen. And Lance, there were probably even people that were willing to tell it to me. And that was one, yeah. of the, one of the first lessons is, you know, being able to be humble enough to take insight from people that, you know, actually probably have your best interests in mind or might be further down that entrepreneurial road than you're at currently. It's, it's really exciting for me now to say, I don't have all this figured out. I don't, I just heard you say this term. I don't know what it means. Uh, you're, you're talking about something I'm unfamiliar with. Can you pause and explain it to me? Or can you give me a resource that I can go search it for myself? I keep a little notepad next to the desk. And every time I'm on a call and I hear something, I write it down and, and figure out how to research it versus this thing of, ah, that, that's nonsense. I don't even know anything about that. So that's, that's part of it to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another part to me, Lance, is I didn't surround myself with with brilliant people that challenged my way of thinking, right? I, I had a great staff that supported me and and honored them for what I put them through because, right, I had to walk in right before Christmas and say, the business is no more. There's no more money in the bank account. And, you know, I'm letting, gosh, at that point, I remember seven, eight, nine, ten people go, but not the most opportune time. And they didn't really know what was going on because they hadn't done anything wrong. It was all It was all me when I really look at it. But so much of that, Lance, is I, I had some entry-level employees across the board that were were great, but they weren't that C-suite. They weren't the people that could challenge my way of being or my thought process. So I didn't have the controller or the CFO in, in, in lockstep. I didn't have the operational you know, head of operations, whether it be C, COO or comparable. I didn't have that person surrounding me. I had myself and then not to, not to disparage them, but a bunch of worker bees and so I'm looking around and when things start to get challenging, I'm left with my own thoughts only. I didn't have someone to say, hey, you're doing a great job of onboarding, selling, selling new clients. This is awesome. But you're paying no attention to the trailing service delivery. You're paying no attention to, to the numbers that are really driving the business underneath the, underneath the current of the business. And if we don't make these structural changes, it's all going to blow up. I didn't have that person. And at that point, again, my ego, I don't know if I would have listened. I don't, I don't know that I could have heard that even if someone had told me. But I'd like to think I, I was I, I would have listened, but I don't really know. Um, and th- and then an- another another conversation to me is procedural, where I understood how to sell, I understood how to market, I understood how to onboard clients and get good success, and I understood the financial side of things. But I hadn't created a level of, of process that I could share with someone else. And when left to my own devices, I go to the thing that I'm most comfortable with, which is sales and marketing. And so while I understand how to do it enough of a level that I could have caught myself before I ran the cliff, ran the car off the cliff, I didn't because I, I didn't document those processes because I could have handled the processes even to, to someone else inside the company. Even if they weren't going to challenge me, they could have at least you know sat on that ledge and watched. But I was afraid of the fact that if I give this to somebody, they see how easy this is, they're going to go after my same clients. They're going to take, mm-hmm. take something and run. And I'll tell you, I just don't think that's true. I, just like you said, Lance, I've, I've 
you know, I've been in business for more than a handful of years now. I've seen a, a couple handfuls of things and I haven't ever seen that actually play itself out. I've had people leave my companies before, try to go out, create a comparable product to compete, and they're out of business in four to six months because especially with an established brand or an established reputation, okay, so go go create a business and, and try to take the thing that I've done. I'm already significantly further down the road than you are. You can't possibly know all the mistakes I've made to get to this point. So yeah. it's great that you have SOPs or an understanding, but that, that doesn't ultimately equate to success. Yeah. 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 I, I'm curious as well. Like there's probably a lot of people who are listening right now who are at that point where their business has been struggling, they're facing the reality that maybe this all is going to close up, right? That they are reaching that point where they, they might have to let everybody go and turn the lights off. How did you bounce back from that, from being the confident, you know, thinking you were the Midas man uh, mm -hmm. to then hitting this reality where it's like, holy shit, it's all gone to then launching your next business and growing that to a multi-million dollar exit as well. So Lance, I, I, I didn't, I struggled with confidence and to rebuild that muscle uh, yeah. for the next five years because I was, I was just always convinced in the back of my mind, the story I was telling myself was that I was missing something and whatever I had built, it was going to be taken away from me. And so much of that came from, I didn't face the man in the mirror. I didn't face those monsters. I didn't face the reality of I made the mistakes during that merchant processing business. I can't point to anybody else. It wasn't my employee's fault. It wasn't the market's fault. It wasn't, it wasn't the customer's fault. It was my fault. And I, I started to really just own that, not only internally in my own thoughts, but externally to the world where, you know, those next two years, as I started this new business, I started the new business because I had no choice. I was out of money. I mean, my negative, my, my net worth was somewhere between negative 40 and negative 60,000 bucks. I mean, it, yeah. There wasn't this opportunity for, oh, well, you know, I'll figure it out. My ego wouldn't let me jump back into old businesses that, you know, people had thought I had grown past or I told myself I'd grown past and grown out of them. So I didn't want to go back and face those people. I didn't want to ask for a job. So it's like, I have to do something and I might as well, you know, for me, it was starting a custom clothing company. It was understanding I'm a larger guy in stature. I've, I've chosen to, or maybe had to buy custom clothes for some time and, look, I can sell. I know when, when the chips are on the table, I can always sell something. So if I can learn this thing, I laughingly call it hand-to-hand -hand combat. I don't have to worry about the internet. I don't have to worry about sales funnels. I don't have to worry about all the stuff that I, I feel like has, has burnt me, although it didn't. Again, it was my fault. I can just you know go pound the pavement. I can meet people and I can figure this out. And that turned into you know, a, a larger enterprise, which it was, again, accidental in nature. I wasn't planning on, on having that level of success. And so- it was, it was because I had to, to start with, just to be able to feed myself and feed my family. I mean, I was, I just started dating a woman who's now my wife, who had, a, had enough capital to float us for a period of time, but it, it was challenging times. And then even after selling that business, it was just an owner finance deal to my head of sales. So I don't want to make it sound like that was a, a huge, grandiose exit, but it was still a business that was, that had grown and was flourishing, was profitable, that it's got to the point that it wasn't a passion project for me. And it was something that I needed to I'll say, pass a baton and turn it over to somebody else. The confidence still wasn't back then for me. It was this thing of saying, I'm still not really good. And it I grew a CBD company next from 2016 to 18 and still sold the CBD company in December of 18. It still wasn't back yet. It was this thing of, hmm. man, I, I, think I, I think this is just really a lot of luck. 
And then I started to work through um, a level of, I'll say, subconscious reprogramming, really understanding the stories that I was telling myself, understanding where those thoughts were derived from and challenging, were they serving me or were they not? Did I want to keep being the victim in my own story? It's like, well, well, no, I miss the way I used to feel in my, in my, you know, all through my twenties that I was, you know, Superman, right? I, I, I know that, you know, and so many of the listeners know as, as we're having this conversation, it's just feeling like I can't do anything wrong. And, and, and something goes wrong. And now this is a new version of the story. It's like, well, it's not, a, I'm not bad at business. I made some bad business decisions for a period of time. And if I learn from them, well, it was a great gift to get. I don't have to run from it. I don't have to be embarrassed by it. I should own that lesson. And I don't have to repeat them again. So it's not going to be taken away. I'm not going to make a mistake. I've learned from the mistakes. So I have mentors that I invest in or, or consultants or coaches around me almost at all times to keep, you know, the, the wheels on the bus. I've got books and, and courses and things that I buy consistently because I'm curious of what those blind spots are. So I've learned these lessons along the way that I don't have to ever make those same mistakes again, which has rebuilt that internal confidence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that we, we fall into so easily uh, when we do run into those failures, it just shakes us to our confidence. Right. And we can't quite identify what is the root of that. And it takes a while sometimes. And, and so it's that uh, the mental fortitude and, and the guidance I, I think that you need at different times to really work through some of that so that you can leave that behind and start to, to unleash yourself from those shackles that are holding you back then. So I, I, I'm also curious, like when, you know, through the, the different ventures you've had, you know, you have had one failure in the many um, uh, successes. How do you continue to keep that drive? Um, right. Because uh, you, I, I can hear the passion in your voice as you talk about mid 45 and, and just where you want to take this. And so it seems as though that drive has not diminished at all, even though you've had a lot of success since that one failure. So, so where does that come from? Part of it comes from Lance wanting to wanting to see what I'm capable of, okay. right? And and I'm not in comparison to any other person on the planet. It's it's literally what am what is the Ryan now capable of versus the Ryan five months from now or five years from now? Not hmm. what's Ryan doing versus what's Lance doing, right? Because we have our own lives and and our own variables to that. That's certainly a large driver for me now. Is just testing what I'll say, what is my own status quo? On the other side, I'd be foolish not to still admit I have some level of chip on my shoulder of wanting to prove something to, to you know, my mother or father or someone along the lines that I can't even articulate who this person is anymore. It's a, it's a fictitious version of someone, I'm sure at this point, that yep. said I couldn't do something and that I was only going to amount to so much. And when, when there's those times where I'm tired, where I'm burnt out, where I don't want to do what I'm doing in that moment, I tap into this internal monologue of that person, whoever that person is in my mind. And again, I don't know that person even exists at this point. Just tell me I can't do something. It's like, no, I got to prove them wrong. I, I want to prove them wrong. It's, I want to, I want to experience that. And how could I prove them wrong? And yeah. so it's the drive of what's, what's possible. It's the drive to, to share things like this, that, that you and I are sharing and, and fully realizing that the more things I go through in life, the larger an organization becomes, the more lessons I get to help other people with that hopefully don't have to take the same missteps that I took. And so it's, it almost feels like this um, requirement of, of, I'll say that my human experience of, I need to keep experiencing more and more so I can turn around and share it with more people just to give them a, a leg up over, over my trajectory. Yeah. So, so when do you know when you've done it then, you know, when you've 
you've reached that place where you can look and go, okay, I, I did it. It's enough now. I do not believe that I am personally wired for that <laughs> day really comes. Right? Yeah, it's never going to be there. Yeah. I've got a, a goal for me. It's been a goal for a long time. I can't even say it's a goal. It's something that I can see really clearly in my mind. There'll be a point in the not so distant future where, where my net worth surpasses a billion dollars. And the, the reason and rationale for that is not to be able to sit on a podcast and say I'm a billionaire worth a billion dollars. It's to think of the the impact that someone can make in the world that I can make in the world if by the time I, I you know punch my last clock here on earth, how powerful is it to give back that billion dollars where it's just a transfer of energy where yeah. you know you really don't think about it until you I haven't thought about it until I was forcing myself to think about it. If you had a billion dollars in an account, just at conservative growth rates, it's throwing off eighty million dollars a year. In, in just in just growth and in just interest, essentially, yep. give or take, you can do a lot of incredible things with eighty million dollars a year. You you can help a lot of people. You can impact the globe, and not from an ego standpoint. I, I really could care less if there's a building name for me, or, or that that's just not a, a driver for me. I think it's it's truly one of the things that we should focus on as entrepreneurs is how do we leave. I think legacy gets thrown on thrown around a lot, but how do we make an impacting change? on the world as it, as it sits. And certainly, does that leave my daughter with something? Absolutely. Is that making sure that my time here on earth is enjoyable and I get to do the things I want to do a hundred percent, but it's so much bigger than that. And I think that's one of the things that I used to do that I don't do anymore is there's no filter on my life anymore. Like there used to be a version of me that would have been petrified to say, I want to, I want to be a billionaire because who am I to be a billionaire? Well, I'm uh, the exact person that needs to be that billionaire because my intentions are pure with it. It's not to be on some list to, to be worth a billion. I don't want anybody to know. I don't care. But just how far downstream could we impact society if 20 of us banded together and grew businesses to north of a billion dollars with the commitment of giving it all away before we cash out? Like, yeah. That's global change. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I love it. Okay. So, so thinking um, back to that, you know, young entrepreneurial, you know, <laughs> Ryan that started that first business many years ago. Okay. So you're going to be able to send a letter back in time now, knowing everything that you know, and having journeyed through all the things you've journeyed through, what would you tell that young Ryan as he's getting started with his first business? I would tell that, that younger version of Ryan, a handful of things. The most important one that comes to the top of my mind is you're setting your sights too low. You're capable of far more than you've ever considered before. Whatever you think you can see, multiply it by 10, multiply it by 50. Go go way bigger than you're considering. Then from there, I pull it down just a little bit and say, the right thing is always the right thing without question at all times. right? And, and what I mean by that is inside of the business landscape, there's these moments in time where I've been faced with choices, right? where a deal didn't go the right way, a customer is disgruntled. I'm looking at the bank account balance. It's not where I need it to be. I don't want to, you know, maybe send a big wire back to a customer that hasn't had a good experience or something hasn't gone gone the right way, went the right way. And do it doing the right thing is always the right thing. And when I when I use my my voice to articulate something, meaning I say I'm going to do something, it it might as well be etched in stone. And mm-hmm. to operate that way, when I operate in that space, life comes very, very quickly for the positive when I fight that it hasn't been so positive, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially to not put the almighty dollar in front of your word, because there's nothing more impactful than that. Those two things in that would be, would have 
helped me, you know, not only been further down the road than I am now, but, but probably have a, a little more net income in some of the businesses that I've been a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Great advice, man. And uh, thanks for sharing all the things that you've shared. You know, the experiences that you've had are, um, you know, things that a lot of us have also had in some ways. Um, but, uh, you know, just hearing you vocalize the lessons that have come from that is just really powerful. And I know our audience is appreciating that for sure. So if uh, somebody wanted to connect with you or to learn more about Mint 45, um, what would be the way to do that? Yeah, Lance. So it's pretty simple. Just just any social platform is Ryan Nidell. It's R-Y-A-N-N-I-D-D-E-L. Right? All Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, if you name it, there's something there. Yep. You know, share the stuff I'm up to with business, right? There's, there's nothing to buy. There's nothing to, you know, conduct commerce between us. Same thing with my website, which is just ryanidell.com, where I share what I'm up to. I share these lessons that you and I are discussing. When I learn something new and I'm seeing it working, I want everybody to know about it. I don't think I need to hold on to it close to the chest. And so if those are things that are of interest to you, I have an email list you could opt into as well that certainly as I, you know, I, I provide updates a couple times a week on just what am I up to? Like I said, I, this is one of those, it just feels like the right time in life to keep giving back. So there, there's nothing to buy. There's nothing, there's nothing we can do together other than, you know, follow along in each other's journeys. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for that. And for those who are listening today, if you really enjoyed this episode, we've got hundreds of episodes in our archives. Head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca to listen to those. And of course, if you are a podcast listener in just the audio only format, you can search us up on any of your favorite podcasting platforms by just searching Amplify Your Business. So Ryan, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. And I know our audience is going to really take a lot from this episode. Yes. Thanks, Lance. Really appreciate our time together. Pleasure. Okay, everybody have a prosperous day. Thank you.